The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Welcome everyone, both those physically here and those on the live stream. I am Daniel Jackaway, today's worship associate, and I am joined on the chancel by Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern, who is our senior minister. Uh, special thanks to everyone who has made today possible, those running the video, the sextons, those who provided flower, and a special thanks to our guest musicians. Uh, we just heard from Alan Biggs and Tommy Kessiker, and we will be seeing a recording from T. Michael Rambo, who unfortunately flew in for this service and the Fools event last night, and then immediately came down with COVID upon arriving in the Bay. Um, but we will have a recording. We hope that everyone has an order of service so that you can follow along, and there's a digital uh, option for those online. Um, for everyone on the live stream, please know that if you have any questions or issues, there is someone monitoring the chat. Um, a quick COVID note. So officially, this was supposed to be the last week where masks were required, but there has been some confusing communication, and so with Vanessa's apologies to anyone who was, was counting on masks today and to the task force. Um, we are going mask optional today, but masks are still definitely allowed and encouraged. Um, and thank you everyone for diligently keeping each other safe these last few years. Now please join in our unison chalice lighting. The words are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Now you can please rise in body or spirit for hymn number 104, when Israel was in Egypt's land in our gray hymnal.
everybody. Welcome everyone. I hope you got your order of service and if you're online, I hope you're following with us. I want to, um, the, the sanctuary was filled last night with the incredible 25th anniversary celebration of the Faithful Fools. Yeah, which was an incredible event. I wish we'd kept some of the balloons that were on display. That would have been very fun. And among the people who were here were a whole bunch of students from St. Ignatius who have these two week long between junior and senior year intensives, often many of them around the country and around the world, but one is where they stay at um, the Faithful Fools for two weeks. And so some of those students were here, which seems perfect because we have three St. Ignatius students who I think are with us today. Tiffany, Olivia, and Calvin, you wanna raise your hands? Great, this is like St. Ignatius weekend uh, here. So they are studying Unitarian Universalism as part of a class and it's wonderful to have you all with us and anyone wearing a name tag at coffee hour you can ask questions to and then tell me which questions they don't have good answers to and then I'll know what to preach about in the next few months, so. <laughs> Welcome, it's great to have you three here. I wanted to just also say that um, in honor of Faithful Fools and its anniversary, the offering this morning will be given and great, gratefully received in the ongoing work and ministry in the Tenderloin and to ourselves as part of that work of, um, of breaking, shattering myths and seeing one another's humanity. It feels appropriate this day on so many levels. I want to also let folks know, remind you that John Burens is offering a class on the history of San Francisco in this congregation as part of the book that he wrote, so sign up for that. 
And next week, I am going to have um, sheets of paper where you can order. And you can let me know if you want a copy of John's book. It's $30. We have a couple on hand, and we've got more on order. Um, John's book, a book of sermons um, by um, Harry Schofield, a former minister of this church, which we also have copies of, and my most recent book. Um, oh, gosh, can I forget the name of my own most recent book? <laughs> Little did I know. It's uh, an anthology of writings about companioning young lives, which I'll be preaching from in, in May. Um, but we have copies here, too. So I'll have a sheet for you next week. So bring your checkbooks, and you can um, stock up on your reading next week. A reminder, too, that our community Seder is here on Friday. So sign up. Um, sign up because you'll need to reserve a place and tell them what you're going to bring and what part of this, making it happen, you're going to be engaged in. And finally, next Sunday is Easter. And bonnets are a big deal around here. So feel free to wear and make and don your bonnets. And we will see you all here for the celebration of next week. I hope you also look at all of the other announcements that are in your order of service, all of these opportunities to become part, more deeply part of this congregation. And if you want to get the order of service um, and our newsletter, fill out one of the connections forms and we'll make sure it gets emailed to you. That concludes, oh, no, there's one final announcement. We are finishing up our annual giving campaign. And that means that those of you who have put the pledge letter aside and thought you'd get to it some other day, if you could get to it, that would be great. If you don't get to it, you're going to start getting phone calls from beautiful, lovely people um, asking you to do it. So it's one of those incentives. The sooner you get it in, unless you want a phone call, but if you want one, just ask for one. We'd be happy to call you. Um, so if you can just, thanks to everyone who got your pledges in, and if you can just get it in, that'll make sure we're able to plan um, responsibly for next year financially. Thank you. All right. Well, we have a moment to greet one another. So say hi to your neighbor, stranger, friend, and we'll conclude with some music.
everybody. so lovely when we can greet each other and look in each other's eyes and share stories from our week and and just have that jolly moment so thank you for participating in that I want to invite Dennis Adams up for a, a quick announcement about something that's coming up that you might be interested in something we hope you're all interested in it's time for the all-church retreat the All Church Retreat this year takes place from May 27th, Saturday, May 27th, to Monday, May 29th, and it's time to retreat to the Redwoods. We're ready to return to Sonoma County to enjoy time with friends and family. We'll spend our first evening at the campfire making s'mores, singing campfire songs, and staring up at the star-filled sky, which you can see out there really beautifully. There will be time to enjoy a walk in the woods, read a book, or play games. We have fun workshops and fun worship. We'll dance the happy dance at the talent show. Come and rejuvenate your spirit. You'll be glad you did. The CYO Retreat Center has comfortable dormitory cabins, showers and bathrooms, swimming, pool, a pond for canoeing, archery, tennis, and basketball courts, and beautiful trails. CYO is just up the road from the Wild Oak Bakery, famous for their sticky buns, local wineries, the town of Occidental, and close by to the Russian River. Retreaters bring their own bedding, towels, and toiletries. Questions, we have a table out here in the lobby, and you can sign up, and there are some scholarships available as well. Retreat! Thank you, Dennis. Okay, it's story time and I need your help. There's a holiday coming up, and what is it? <laughs> Passover, I heard Passover, and there's a story that goes with Passover, and it was in a country, what country was it in? Egypt, Egypt right. And there was a powerful king, but he wasn't called a king. What was he called? Pharaoh. A pharaoh, oh, we're getting into it now. All right, good, good. <laughs> So, and what, he, what did the Pharaoh do to the Jewish people? Enslaved them and made them work and build his palaces and his cities and they worked without rest. And they cried to God for help. And who did God choose as the person to represent the people? Moses, 
So Moses went to the Pharaoh and said, God is not happy with the way you treat the Jewish people. He wants you to let the Jewish people leave Egypt and go into the desert where they will be free. And the Pharaoh said, sure, go ahead. No. The Pharaoh stamped his foot and said, no, I will never let the Jewish people go. Moses warned, if you don't listen, many terrible things will happen. Plagues will come to your land. And the Pharaoh did not listen. And so the plagues arrived. So do you know your plagues? Do you know your plagues? What's the first one? Nope. Locusts are popular though, right? Locusts, locusts aren't for a while. What? Did anybody say blood? Blood. The water ran blood. Rain blood. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then the next one, little green, they hopped frogs. The next one, not yet. <laughs> Everybody wants those locusts to come. <laughs> Lice. And then, not locusts. Flies. And pestilence. And boils. And hail. And every time, we're not done yet, Every time a plague came, the Pharaoh said, I'm going to let the people go. Please stop. And the plague would stop. And what would the Pharaoh do? Renege. Exactly. He, would, he said, nope, come back. So there's three more plagues. What's the next one? Locusts. Then darkness. And then the last one, the death of the firstborn. So finally, the Pharaoh ordered the Jews to leave Egypt. And this has been 10 times, right? That he has said, you can go, you can, but you have to come back. You can go, you have to come back. So the people packed up really quickly and they packed up a special kind of bread what kind of bread did they pack up? Unleavened, which we know as matzah. So they packed up and they went to, what was the water? Red Sea. And Moses led them and what happened to the Red Sea? It parted and they walked. And as they walked, what was following behind them? The Egyptian army. Did anybody say Egyptian army? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Julia's got the answers. <laughs> and they dashed forward, and then the Red Sea crashed back. And they were able to leave. And to this day, Passover is celebrated because of that freedom that the Jews won. Stories are told, special foods are eaten. And again, if you want to celebrate, Friday is the day to do that. Thank you for helping tell the story.
Now please join for our spoken covenant and sung doxology. The words are in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. I grew up in a Unitarian Universalist household, and each year we would have a rather quick Passover Seder at home. My dad, whose parents were very connected to their cultural Jewish community, despite being staunch atheists, would always tell me how lucky I was that I didn't have to attend the large Seders that he always did where he would wait hours going through every part of the story before he got to eat. Much of the Passover ritual centers deprivation and suffering, as it is a remembrance of my ancestors' time as slaves and their rushed escape, as we heard. And so I felt deeply neutral about the dry, flavorless matzah bread and I could barely keep the tiny morsel of horseradish down that I was required to eat every year. But despite those road bumps, I overall looked forward to the ritual of the, and, and to the meal, which featured sweet apple haroset, roast meat, and matzo ball soup. Beyond the story of suffering and eventual freedom, one aspect of the ritual that always stuck with me was one of generosity and openness, Elijah. Elijah, I was told, was a prophet. We didn't know him, but we always poured him a glass of wine and left the door open in case he wanted to stop by. This, more than the words that we would say about how we should always welcome the hungry and the lonely to our Seder, always made an impression on me from a young age. We never left our front door open. And who was going to drink that wine? When I was a young child, I thought this was kind of funny, like Santa Claus without the presents. But in hindsight, 
it changed how I saw the holiday in an important way. Our Seder was almost always just the four of us, my nuclear family. And we didn't even know very many other people who celebrated. It was easy for it to feel like a private observance. But Passover is fundamentally communal. The story is about a marginalized community running off into the desert together. You can't survive 40 years in the desert alone. You need a community who can help you out. And as Exodus tells it, you need a God who will give you just enough guidance, water, and mana to keep you alive. And maybe that's the Passover message that we all need this year. There are a number of deserts that our society needs to cross. There are problems like climate change, scapegoating of transgender people, and anti-democratic power grabs that are probably going to get worse before they get better. None of us is making our way to the promised land alone. And there might be some dark times coming when we wonder if we can make it to the other side of that desert and build a better world. But if we are going to make it, it's going to have to be together. Go down, Moses, way down to Egypt, the land. Tell, Pharaoh, let my people go. When Israel was in Egypt, the land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Glory. Go down, Moses, way down to Egypt, the land. Tell, Pharaoh, to let my people go. So Moses went to Egypt, the land. Let my people go. He made, O Pharaoh, understand. Let my people go, glory. Go down, Moses, way down to Egypt, the land. Tell, O Pharaoh, let my people go. Thus spoke the Lord, bold Moses said, let my people go. If not, I smite your firstborns dead. Let my people go, o glory, go down. Moses, way down to Egypt, the land, tell, O Pharaoh, let my people go, glory, go down. Moses, way down to Egypt, the land, tell, O Pharaoh, to let my people go.
Well, we send our love and healing to T. Michael Rambo, flew in for Faithful Fools and got sick and still managed, <laughs> still managed to be with us this morning. I invite us to feel our feet on the ground and the, our backs against the pews or the couch, wherever we find ourselves, and settle ourselves into a time of reflection and prayer. <clears throat> Spirit of life and love that moves through us and moves through the world, God, who is known by so many names and no name at all. People gathered here with all our different life experiences. We gather at the forming edge of one week amidst the headlong tumble of days to gather ourselves and to center ourselves and to ground ourselves. We offer up this morning into our shared holding the pains, the heaviness, anything that weighs us down, that it might feel lighter, knowing we don't hold any of it alone. And we offer up into this time all the gratitude that we have for what is beautiful and a blessing in our lives. That that perspective of gratitude can frame and shape the way we see and experience the world. And we offer up into this space what it is we struggle in discernment around in our lives. <clears throat> Those places we need or wish for more clarity or direction, where we are confused or perturbed. That some of what is hard or confusing might unravel. That the mud might settle in the waters we sometimes stand in so that we can see the ground beneath us and know it. And this Sunday in particular, we call out too to all those places we ourselves feel bound up by circumstances that 
make us feel unloved or not fully free to be ourselves and to live the life we dream of for ourselves. There are pharaohs of all kinds in this world, even some that dwell within. May we find ways to be liberated. To liberate one another. To live larger love. For all these things, for the moment to pause, to name and hold out what is hard and take a moment to be grateful for what is good, to open ourselves to clarity where we have confusion, and for the call to deeper liberation in our lives and with one another. We pray. May the intentions of our hearts bear fruit in the lives we live and the world we make together. Amen. Our offering today benefits the faithful fools for their essential ministry in the heart of the Tenderloin, uh, and it will now be given and gratefully received.
Religious life and its ritual acts and its stories is not actually a cycle. It's more like a spiral where we meet the stories each year is not ever in exactly the same place, but someplace slightly different, a different us facing a different set of circumstances, asking different questions in our life meets the same stories. And when we throw ourselves up against these stories or the story up against our lives, different things inevitably stick to us or stand out for us. What you took away as a kid or a teenager or a person starting out life independently at each decade, each year is different or often different. Something new can grab you by the collar and ask you to pay attention. And we're in a season right now of such stories, Passover, Lent and Holy Week, Easter next Sunday, Ramadan too is happening right now, began March 22nd, ends April 21st. And you could say something similar about the way we bump up against and meet rituals and disciplines like fasting and prayer in that particular observance, how it affects us differently each year and we meet it differently. But I'm thinking today about stories in particular and about one story in particular, the Passover story. <clears throat> Starting Wednesday of this week in Families and Community Seders, one sacred story of this season is going to be retold as it has been for thousands of years. 3,000 years ago, the story says, Pharaoh kept a people enslaved. Through a twist of fate, a small boy ended up in Pharaoh's court and led the people to freedom but the road was rough, it always is. Freedom comes almost always at a price. Frederick Douglass famously explained why, saying power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Find out just what a people will quietly submit to and you have found the exact measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed on them. And these will continue, continue till they are resisted with either words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. I heard once from a professor of decision theory, which is this subset of psychology that often merges with economics, that people, we, literally value things more, that is, put a higher dollar value on them when they are ours, more than we would have valued that same thing before it was ours. 
And psychologists have also shown that when we lose something, when it's taken from us, that the pain we rate at having the thing taken from us is higher than the pain we acknowledged and self-reported when we got the thing in the first place. All of which, to me, starts to explain some of Douglas's observation that we human beings, we don't like to give up anything that is ours including the intangible but real possessions of power and privilege. So, for that reason and so many others, ego and its fragile and sometimes dangerous power over us, so power concedes almost nothing without a demand, almost ever. And liberation, as Desmond Tutu once said, liberation is costly. It resonates with me this year how much this is true. Some of us read a novel last month called Babel by a young and incredible Chinese-American writer and scholar, R.F. Kwan, also known as Rebecca Kwan. In the book, young people who are raised bilingual all over the world, some of them are brought in as specialized translators into the gorgeous, rarefied world of 19th century Oxford University, into its fictional Royal Institute of Translation. In local slang, these scholars are called the babblers, a particularly revered group of scholars who will, in many ways, keep the world, the British Empire, strong and dominating, given a power that involves words and magic that they will soon learn how to wield. To be one of these elites, the babblers, is it's best that you speak the language that you're wielding as natives, both so you know the connotations of the words, which is key to how these translators will capture and transmit the power of language, and also that you speak the words correctly, like a native would, which is also key to unlocking their power and magic. This is why, then, so many of these babblers are foreigners brought in from colonies at the heart of the colonial empire. But in Oxford, they are the non-white students in a world of white domination in a place built on messages of white superiority. And although they are in a position of privilege, they learn quickly that they are in this world, but they will never entirely belong to it. As long as they do the empire's bidding, serve as its engine, for this they will be protected and given some of the benefits and luxuries of this world. But there is a clear sense that to the empire, ultimately, they are expendable, especially if they don't mind their place and purpose. Written to a backdrop of 19th century England, but written from our era, it is an intentionally pointed story. It's about people, white and non-white, who are complicit in the yoke of extraction and rule. 
In some ways, the babblers are the Moseses of Egypt in that they get what the enslaved people did not, the benefits and protections of empire, but for being complicit in its rule and at a price. Especially for those who are non-white, they are part of an empire that doesn't see their full humanity, but for everyone, they are part of an empire that doesn't see the full humanity of all. Increasingly, I worry that as a nation, we're moving toward rather than away from the same paradigm of empire and extraction and what it relies on ideologically. This notion that people, any of us, is expendable. Even as the formal colonial structures have eroded and been beaten back since the setting of this novel, some of the patterns still endure. King would say, Martin Luther King would say, evil can be subtle and tricky in its determination to endure, as is the case of race in America. And colonial notions are similar. In our case right now, the wealthy, the pharaohs, the commanders of empire in the world continue to have the power and freedom to move the world to serve their needs. In fact, I wonder if part of the relief and surprise this last week of Trump's indictment isn't just its historic breach of an unspoken protection given in this nation to former presidents, but was the overall surprise given how rare it is for the high and mighty and the arrogant and the powerful and the wealthy to be brought to justice, to be told that they have to play by the rules and to have to pay the price when they break them. That not everything bends to serve them, that it cannot. And when I say it cannot, I, I don't actually mean practically, I guess, because it can and it has for millennia. And I want to be super clear that I'm not saying that power is evil per se or wrong, though I do agree with 19th century British historian Lord Acton who said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I do think that wherever we all, each of us, has power, that it takes a keen and disciplined soul to use one's power carefully and for larger good and to check, often best to check with your enemies about whether your ego and your own personal needs aren't misleading you in your exercise of power, our exercise of our power. But there is this catharsis for me in the Passover story this year when I read it, in this message that sometimes, despite resistance and stubbornness and big-headed, egotistical, heinous, ideological, ideologically evil determination, that sometimes the pharaohs of the world are brought to their knees when they abuse power. Because if they are not, 
then the moral center of our universe will not hold. There's something about that that is both comforting and emboldening to me this year. And I do find that I'm drawn in the story to the Moses figure. I do find myself yearning for all of us right now, some leader who could lead us into the work of the radical sharing of wealth and power and the great sacrifices, mandatory, that will be required for us to turn climate change around. But more than Moses, too, I realize that part of what's active for me in this story this year that I'm drawn to, heart-centeredly drawn to, is something else at work in the Passover tale, recounting. So, I know we have lots of different religious and philosophical perspectives in this room. People raised in very different traditions and no religious tradition at all. I know that we have people who are agnostic and atheist and humanist and Buddhist and socialist and every brand of theist and deist and whose religion is in connection to the earth and more. And stay with me. What I'm drawn to in the story is this character that is just off stage who keeps moving in to support the people. The character who works with the mother who wants to save her child and puts him in that basket in the river and then puts that child into the court of Pharaoh to try and change Pharaoh's heart. And this character who, when Pharaoh's heart is hard, sends rains of blood and keeps upping the ante step by step, as my dad would say, being as kind as this he, she, it character just outside can be, but as hard as it must to try and move this king to surrender his false right to keep a people enslaved. This God, as the narrators of the story would call this force, this off-the-set director of big events, the deus ex machina who splits the seas and who has them collapse in again, who's at work in all of this. And to be clear, no one, not even Jews who annually read the Haggadah, celebrate the drowning of the soldiers and the chariots. No life and no loss of life is ever to be celebrated. But you can almost imagine in the story this weary God shaking her head and saying, seriously, people, I have no choice left thanks to your unbelievable stubbornness and arrogance because you will let my people go. For the sake of your souls, too, you will. In two weeks, I'm going to be part of this symposium at the University of San Francisco that's set up by the Center for Nonviolence there to honor the 60th anniversary of King's publication of sermons that were written before and during and after the Montgomery bus boycott that outlined his commitment to an ethic of love and to nonviolence as a strategy to live out the demands of that love 
And one of the sermons in this collection is called The Death of Evil Upon the Seashore, and it's based out of this Exodus Passover story. And in the sermon, King talks about evil as something real, as real as good is, as palpable and real in the world, and how recalcitrant evil is, like Pharaoh or our own evils of slavery and racism and poverty and war and that we don't celebrate any harm done to defeat evil, but that we can affirm the force that is present in the story of Exodus and look and see where and how it shows up among us too. For King, God is a force that moves with us, not alone, not without us, it needs us, it moves with us to liberate human hearts and human lives. And last night, Carmen Barasodi, in the celebration of the Faithful Fools, talked about the 25 years of work that she and others have done to accompany people in the shared enlightenment, in the shattering of myths we have about one another that stand between us and her wondering about whether all of those 25 years did any good. But if you had been in the room last night, if you were filled with the hundreds of people that that work touched, and they were not all of the people, there were almost 100 online and people, I'm sure in other places, 10,000 people who'd gone on the street retreats, she said, you would know instantaneously in your bones that that work was not for naught. And she talked about how her main lesson in all of this, her lesson through these 25 years, was about fidelity. Fidelity, which is this beautiful word for stubbornness and determination but maybe a stubbornness and a determination that has woven into it and through it a love for others and what's between us that keeps us in it and moving to greater purpose and connection, this force that some days carries us in the great mystery that we cannot fully comprehend. For me, that's what the universalist part of our Unitarian Universalist DNA called the love with a capital L that's not just a feeling, but this pervasive foundational reality that undergirds and infuses the world and puts into our own being and calls out of our own beings and lures us into the demanding conspiratorial work of connection and healing in the world against all the conditions that we see through time, this heart's dream that King called the not yet of the world that still pulls us forward because our hearts know, don't they, deep down that the Pharaoh and all the ideology of empire, wherever it shows up again and again in the world, like a weed, a horrific evil weed, that it cannot claim the day. That it might, but it cannot. 
that even the small pharaohs of our own hearts cannot claim the day. They need to be washed free so that the life that we're made for, the life that is of love and not power that defends petty ego or unequal gain, that the life we're meant for takes root. This year, that's what the Passover story has anchored in me or that I feel hooked to in it. In the book Babel, the three main characters who were brought to serve empire but whose humanity is most expendable if they fail to serve it, have this heartbreaking and emboldening realization of their deep desire to be seen and loved and cherished for themselves. Ultimately, it's that that gives clarity and purpose and nobility and transcendence and courage to their lives. Call it what you might, wherever it shows up, this is the force we're talking about in all of its forms and all the ways we see it and know it, this force that moved the Israelites to fight for freedom against all the setbacks that kept the faithful fools faithful, that buoyed and inspired the people of Montgomery for the 381 days without public transportation, and everyone who has faced resistance to evil and all it can muster in the circumstances when it's being asked to give up something that isn't rightly its in the first place. And what I love about the Passover story this year, what's sticking to me, what I need to hear is not that liberation isn't easy because I think I knew that, and it's not that power will concede without a fight because I think I knew in my own heart and my own struggles that power doesn't concede without a fight often, and what I need instead is just that what, whatever would say in the world that Anything that is permitted to diminish the humanity of any of us, anything that would treat us as anything less than fully human, any of us, that this is, this is somehow against a mysterious, miraculous, gorgeous, enduring, beating heart of the universe we live in and that that is powerfully, stubbornly, enduringly, miraculously, metaphysically, existentially, teleologically true. And I'm going to hang on to that. That we're born to love and to be loved and called to love one another, and the stories like the ones of the next two weeks say that love and liberation of the human heart will claim the day. And may it be so. Amen.
In that spirit, my beloveds, let's rise as we're able in body or spirit and sing together hymn number 210, Wade in the Water. Midrashes on wading into the water. Oh, don't sit down. Um, first of all, the story is you wade into the water and touch the staff to the water before it parts, right? So you have to be in the mix of the water before it parts. It doesn't show you it's going to part before you're in it. But there's actually one midrash that says that not Moses, but another leader stepped in and stepped into the water and it wouldn't part and it wouldn't part and it wouldn't part. And he kept wading in until it covered his mouth and only then did it part. <sighs> Sit with that on a bad day. <laughs> Might get you through. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us out from within us and be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. 
Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.